0: You're writing a story, you have your characters, you have your plot, but what about world building? my lovely listeners my brain spun the world building topic roulette wheel and came up with travel yes that wonderfully riveting part of any adventure the getting there of course they do say that it's the journey rather than the destination that's important so bearing that in mind what about travel in your world what does travel look like in order to answer this question we should step back and look at a few things starting with the historical realities of travel on our world. Way back, earlier than I'm planning on researching, we all got around by walking, just hoofing it. Then animals were domesticated, and we used their powers of having more legs than us to get places faster and or with more goods. Eventually, some people got a hold of the wheel, and then they were like, holy crap, we can stick this sucker on something flat and carry even more stuff. Which was pretty awesome, you have to admit, because only being able to carry what you yourself physically can lift would get old real quick. Sometime after the invention of the wheel, several groups of people decided that they were sick of travel and decided to stay in one place for generations and generations. Other groups of people decided not to settle down and to just deal with the way things have been instead of dealing with the problems of digging outhouses, and so they said, good luck with your smelly poop buildings, and kept on moving, which, good for them. Dealing with outhouses is not the most fun thing in the world. Well, eventually, the outhouse people did invent outhouses and other things, like government? Not to say that the nomads didn't have government, but they were off doing their own thing, which I'll get into later. Maybe not so much in this episode, but definitely later. So for a long time, people had two modes of travel, feet and animals. Then humans discovered boats and their minds exploded because now places with water became places where, under the right conditions, it was possible to travel really, really quickly. Hint, I'm talking mostly about rivers here. So, with boats, people could go really, really far, like the Polynesians did when they sailed all the heck over those islands in the South Pacific in really impressive style, which is ultra impressive to me because I use the GPS on my phone constantly and I still get lost walking down the street and places I've been before, and sometimes my own house. (laughs) It's not my fault though, my dad also has a lousy sense of direction, okay? So, anyway, for a while, people had their boats and carts and walking, but after a while, this guy had another epiphany. He went from making tea with steam to making engines. Engines! He yelled to the world. Holy crap, engines! The rest of the world yelled back, and then they put engines in everything! But today, we're only talking about engineified carts and boats, and not, like, And not like assembly lines or anything else. Engines, yelled the guys having a race with various horseless carriage engines to see which was the best. Engines, moaned a bunch of people who first took trips on a riverboat with an engine and then threw up because they were going too fast. Which is a rumor I have heard. They also had, with their engines, the train, which could haul a lot of people and goods a lot of miles in not a lot of time. Everyone loved engines so much they wanted to take them into the sky. Eventually the Wright brothers did just that and then airplanes happened. And now we're pretty much up to date in my short, short history of, quote, the various types of transportation I am aware of, unquote. Now that that's done, we're gonna go back and do that again but this time it'll be more fun because we're going to talk about laws. Just kidding. We're gonna talk about a lot more than that. By which I mean, we're gonna talk about the who, the where, the why, and the how of various times because those are actually really important, especially because today, most of us are just really used to being able to travel pretty much anywhere in the world, anywhere we want, whenever we want. Adjusting, of course, for the fact that money is involved. But what I'm talking about is the fact that, historically, after parts of humanity settled down and developed things like severe social stratification, there were places where people were legally bound to the land and had to obtain permission to travel outside of certain areas. European serfs and peasants certainly sprang to my mind. Lords weren't exactly huge fans of their food producers getting uppity, running off, and not making food or something. Of course, during troubled times like civil conflicts or famines or such, even serfs tried to find somewhere better. And when I say legally bound to the land, I don't mean that these people had to stay on their farms, at least in Europe. Church was a thing that happened. And so were markets and such like. Humans tend to congregate and have festivals at all social levels. It's a very hard thing to stuff out, as several regimes have discovered, so a complete ban on travel would be nigh on impossible to enforce in pre-modern times. So, we have already established a class that generally isn't allowed to travel. But what classes ARE allowed, or WERE allowed? Historically, people above them. Merchants whose livelihood rested on being able to move goods from producers to buyers would be required to travel and naturally the nobility and the royalty who owned the land in European society. They usually had much greater ranges of freedom. In a European society, uncloistered religious would also be allowed to move from place to place, but often at the request of someone else. In a European society, uncloistered religious would also be allowed to move from place to place, but often at the request of someone else, like the head of their order, or a local lord asking for special spiritual guidance or something. Later, laws change, and for a while, the idea of legally binding people to the land is banished. Oh, it's still there in other ways. Mostly monetary. You can't exactly leave your land if you can't afford to. But the Atlantic slave trade happens in a big way, adding a whole new dimension to the idea of who is allowed to travel. Even after the Atlantic slave trade, and after the repeal of those laws of binding people physically to their plot of land, The idea of moving around was still mostly reserved for either extreme scenarios, such as refugees, or for the nobles. It's not until much later, the 1800s in fact, that we get the idea of traveling for pleasure, for the lower classes. So we have our who. Let's now go deeper into the why, which I have touched on briefly. To keep things simple, I'm going to say there's four whys of travel. One, family reasons. These could be things like visiting a sick relative, going off to celebrate a wedding, or going to say your last goodbyes at a funeral. Family reasons could also be the fact that your family has always traveled, by which I mean traveling as a part of culture. Two, business. I'm going to say business involves things like traders or merchants who naturally spring to mind, but also for political reasons, i.e. a summit meeting, a coronation, or a big funeral. It could also be for war, with soldiers on the march with serious purpose in their step. Epic quests or scientific voyages would probably fit under here. Number three, climate. Even ostensibly settled cultures like imperial China or the English monarchy would move depending on the time of year. Well, specifically their nobles would move. It might be something purely physical with the climate, such as moving in the summer to keep from getting too hot. Or it might be a political or uh, cleanliness climate. When the English court moved castles, they got to leave behind all the dirty beds and dishes and arrive at a nice, new, clean castle. And you can imagine who got to stay behind and deal with those dirty dishes. And the fourth reason is safety. This can combine a little with climate, since political climates can create feelings of being unsafe that can scare people enough for them to move, with good reason. There was a brief upswing in emigration from Germany in the nine years between when Hitler came to power and when he started the Holocaust. Dangerous rhetoric towards a group can lead to physical danger to said group, causing people to leave their homes and travel somewhere else that they hope will be safer. This also includes traveling to get away from war, famine, drought, or other unsafe things, basically. I know I said there were four reasons to travel, I would have added pleasure as section number five, such as, you know, vacationing by the seaside or going on a cruise or things like that. However, first of all, we're already very aware of traveling for pleasure. Second of all, I totally forgot about it until just this minute, so. So this is kind of just a little add on here for you. From the why, let's go on to the where, as people don't usually leave where they are without having at least an idea of their destination. Of course, each destination is unique to the story you're writing, but a few things need to be looked at. For example, the route they're taking. Is it easy? Hard? What makes it so? An easy route can be relevant as well. It's pretty easy for me to get to a store. I just cross the street and walk for a few minutes. In another place, an easy route might be climbing through a mountain pass to avoid some orcs. The difficulty of the route can be influenced by the physical terrain and the social space. Mountains, deserts, swamps, and grasslands all have their own challenges and advantages. In a story less about character versus nature, the social landscape can have an effect. Are there checkpoints, guards, toll booths? Does moving through a certain space mean danger for your characters because of how other characters perceive them? Social class can be as difficult to navigate and seem as daunting as a high mountain. When your characters arrive, where are they arriving? The location is important enough to travel to. Why? How did it get this important? Many times, the answer often has to do with trade, even if only tangentially. Historically, in our world, many big cities became big because they were very conveniently located on a shipping route or on a place that would be a good location for a shipping route. Or these cities were located close to sources of things that generated trade, such as mines. Even small cities are linked to trade, commerce, and capital, especially in the United States. Many small towns traditionally survived as single industry towns or train towns. Such trade may or may not shape your city destination, but it is important to think about why the location is important or has become less important. Finally, let's look at the how. The how is, in some ways, the hardest aspect of writing travel in your world. From the numerous choices you could have, to the fact that we usually restrict ourselves to comparatively few methods of travel these days, it can get confusing. First of all, let's look at the good old forms of travel from ye olden days, classics like walking. Your average human has a walking speed of about three miles an hour over reasonable terrain. Humans are also good at walking or even running for long periods of time. I mean, not me. I'm not great at running. It's sure it's supposed to keep you healthy, but as Parks and Recreation asked, but at what cost? What cost indeed. So if your characters are moving over roads or flat terrain, they could easily go up to 30 miles a day if they devote themselves just to travel. Moving over swampland or up mountains gets a little trickier, naturally, but I don't have the figures on those terrains. Traveling with horses, oxen, or other beasts of burden would up your speed. They do need to be fed and cared for though, unless your characters are willing to, uh, not do that. But hoofstock, horses and oxen and all that, they aren't dogs and they aren't machines. There are specific needs that these creatures have. Limits as well. You can't ride a horse at a flat gallop day and night. That's not physically possible for a horse unless he's like Shadowfax or something. If the horse isn't Shadowfax, you'll probably end up with a stone fox situation. Anyone else read that book? No? It's sad, trust me. The point is, back in the days of the Pony Express, they used multiple stations and multiple horses for a reason. The rider would ride for a set distance, get to the station and get a fresh pony to keep up the pace and to not kill the animals. Carts and caravans go under this section here because they're usually pulled by horses or oxen or other hoofstock. Carts can't be pulled through places their pulling animal can't get through. Smaller carts pulled by say goats could go over difficult mountain terrain, but I doubt bigger carts pulled by two or more horses could do so as easily. And again, You still need to look after the animal, plus keeping an eye on the construction of the cart itself. However, you could carry or transport more people faster this way. Ships don't need to sleep or eat, but they can only go on water. Theoretically, they could go on land, but for the most of them, they could only do that once. Especially the big ones with the huge sails. Despite not having biological limits, ships do still have physical limits. Ships on rivers can only move within that line of water and are still subject to any obst ships on rivers can only move within that line of water and are still subject to any obstacles therein. Big rocks still a problem rapids same thing, shallow water maybe, and depending on the type of boat you got, fast or slow currents might also be a problem. Wind is another physical problem to boat travel, even if your boat doesn't utilize sails to move wind will still have an impact, especially on smaller, lighter boats like canoes or kayaks. In open water, the ocean waves are also something to look out for. Huge. Huge waves that I barely know anything about. Being a landlubber and everything. However, boats are an incredibly efficient way to transport goods and people long distances. In our modern world, we still use them to ship all our crap everywhere. An amazing juxtaposition of ancient and modern, which is a really great way to segue from stuff sans engines to stuff with engines. As I said above, engines really changed a lot of things about transportations. Boats with engines, trains, cars, planes, all the really important things that are still working hard moving things around today. Engines really make the world smaller in a way that's hard for us to appreciate. Before it could take weeks months or even years to travel places. In the 1300s, travel between England and France could take months. Now you can freaking drive between them in a matter of hours thanks to the channel. The how used to be really tied to the when of travel. We're not really going to cover stuff with engines very much because we're all very familiar with that already. We're going to move on to the when. The how of travel used to be really tied to the when of travel. You couldn't make it through the mountain pass till spring, the autumn harvest was a bad time to leave, third example, etc, etc. These days, how is still tied to when, but often when has less to do with the physical aspect of the route and more to do with the social. By which I mean, traffic. Sure, planes might need to sit on a runway and have the wings de-iced, and when that Icelandic volcano went off, everyone tripped over the name for a long time. But the social realities of Christmas and spring break dictate planes more than any paltry seasonal weather change. Plus, rush hour. Just. rush hour. Which isn't due to any specific weather conditions or geographical topography. No, rush hour is pure human doing, baby. Pure us. But the fact that our largest, most notable travel delay is basically a social phenomenon does make us, on the whole, less in tune with other factors that would be involved in planning travel if your characters, nay, your world, doesn't have engines or highways or airplanes or 9-to-5 work schedules or what have you. Again, I come back and say research is important in these cases. I could sit here and read out to you a list of travel speeds of numerous types of boats and wagons and all that. I mean, I could... But you'd have to pay me first. Would you pay me for that? I'm open to offers, but I digress. We've looked at the who, what, how, why, and even when of travel this episode. I originally had plans to go into how the changing modes of travel changed society itself, but the basic w questions really distracted me. Plus we had that little mini history up there in the beginning, so that should tide you all over until I managed to do a more thorough explanation. I would also like to announce a few housekeeping things that I've neglected to mention in these past episodes. What About Worldbuilding is on Twitter at WAWorldbuilding and on Tumblr at whataboutworldbuilding.tumblr.com. You can also send in comments, questions, vague platitudes, life philosophies, what have you, through email at whataboutworldbuilding at yahoo.com. I hope to hear from you. And then, of course, the spiel you hear from basically every podcast. Stuff about rating on iTunes and whatever. So I'll spare you the plea this time, but you never know what's lurking around the corner. And I hope to see you next time, my listening several, through the audio magic of podcasts.